Okay, and we are ready to go. Welcome to ontological design session number one for the web at the inaugural Overweb Challenge. I'm Albert Kim, founder of Noetic Nomads, a community of radical thinkers and doers co-creating a more beautiful future. And I will be your moderator for today. The Overweb Challenge is brought to you by Bridget.io and Noetic Nomads. You can find us at noeticnomads.org. Thank you to our sponsors, the Overweb Foundation and the Forbes Funds, and to our partners, including the EU's next generation internet, UMI, Edge Writers, Accelerant Solutions, We Tech Belgium, The Funding Box, and School. And last but not least, thanks so much, everyone, for joining us today. Everyone gets an invite to the Noetic Nomads Discord, where you can be part of the next generation of sense makers and change makers. Links are coming up in the chat. So the inaugural overweb challenge uh, was convened to help envision what the future of the web may look like. And the stars must have aligned because uh, as David and I were in the opening stages of organizing this event, uh, Daniel and Owen were beginning to publicly put forth uh, their ideas for ontological design uh, in spaces such as the STOA with uh, fellow panelists for today, uh, Raven Connolly, and also with their techno-social project. And um, also joined uh, in our panel is Max Goslin, who has a lifetime of experience with design, which I'm very excited for him to share. And also Evan, who has a background in engineering and experience in both physical and digital spaces. So I'm very uh, excited to see uh, what comes forth from this session. So I would like to turn it over to Daniel. Uh, can you please uh, start by briefly going into what is meant by ontological design? And then please go ahead and facilitate our inaugural session for ontological design of the web. Perfect. Hello, everyone. Happy to see some familiar faces in here. Um, as you know, I'm Daniel Fraga. Together with Owen Cox, we have our podcast called TechnoSocial. And in it, one of the ideas that we explore is precisely this idea of ontological design. It's a concept on which much can be said, but by way of, by way of introduction and to establish a common understanding of it, both for us here at the panel as well as for those who are listening via Zoom, we can say the following. First, that we design our tools and then they design us in return. When we create the objects and the contexts that surround us, we are in fact designing our very selves. And that is the key assumption of ontological design. The idea that by designing objects, spaces, tools and experiences, we're in fact designing the human being itself. And the ability to design human beings is going to be very central as we are all very aware of to survive the technological shifts of the current and coming decades with a semblance of agency. And so through the lens of ontological design, as we understand it, reality becomes a technical problem because perception is inextric inextricable from reality. Furthermore, the internet age, in the internet age, perception can be, and already often is, creatively manipulated by external forces. And so to navigate this virtual wilderness of the internet age, the deliberate design of subjectivity uh, may very well be our greatest tool. Um, so this panel and this whole conference, and I'm going to very quick, uh, very soon hand it over to, to the rest of the panelists to introduce themselves, bears a special focus on the topic of the internet and especially of the overweb as a technological tool. In our advanced techno-capitalist age, the economy can be said to no longer be exclusively an exchange of materials or services, but it has evolved to the degree that it exchanges experiences. Experiences which, through an already existing ontological design gesture that happens already naturally, 
uh, designs our perceptions and it designs our attentions, the attentions of those who go through these experiences. So in the words of Alex Ebert, it is not a question of competition within reality, but realities in competition. Ontological design is merely the art and the craft of designing and curating realities, perhaps optimizing for a competitive edge, perhaps optimizing for trust, perhaps optimizing for X. So that said, and I don't want to uh, extend myself too much, the provocation that I want to throw to our, um, to our panel today, and um, before I hand it over to Owen to introduce himself and, 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 um, and to the rest of the people, is the following. What does ontological design mean for the future of the internet and for the overweb? And how can we use it to design our perceptions and our attention? Nice one, Daniel. So yeah, I'm Owen. I'll say a few words just about myself and then we can kick it off. Like I, I work with Daniel. We do a podcast called Technosocial that's already been mentioned. I'm very interested in this intersection between what we might say a internet culture, kind of postmodern or post-postmodern religiosity and generally practices and artistic disciplines that shape how we be in the world. Like I, I came up as a teenager through very much alternative subcultures like heavy metal and then the techno world. And these worlds kind of exist beside what you might call the mainstream, the blue church, but also kind of doing their own thing underneath it. And the only thing that they're doing is not as perhaps rational it's very symbolic it's very expressive it's got its own mythology it's got its own grammar of communication that is done in symbols and dress codes and aesthetic forms and perhaps where i'm interested in terms of ontological design is not so much in terms of like sense making which is i guess i'm not so keen on the term and i think it's trying to clutch back what the mainstream media did within the blue church landscape. I think I'm more interested in how we go very subcultural and how we go seriously artistic and how we go religious, which takes us into dangerous territory, the territory of cults and shamanism, if you will. So those are a little introduction to me. Um, who shall we go first with the panel? In fact, let's go to Evan, because I think Evan has been present in, in the couple of talks we've done on the Stoa, but Daniel and I have not gotten a chance to talk to him yet. But I think there are some overlaps between what we're interested in him, some significant ones. So Evan, if you will, over to you. And how is ontological design shaping how you're thinking about? Yeah, I mean, thank you for having me on the panel. This is a wonderful opportunity to get to know you guys and to explore this space. I mean, so my personal history, you know, I've grown up as the son of a technologist um, and the son of a yogi. And so this these are two different people, my two different parents. And so I see ontological design as applied to the internet as being sort of unifying two strains of my own ancestral lineage, if you will. Um, 
because I've spent a lot of my life working in the technology sector through network design, architecture and administration, programming um, and various web and I mean, everything from web to embedded devices, uh, real time systems, you name it, I've done it. And, uh, and, and yet I felt like there were these two spheres of my life because I also took about 10 years off in my early adult life to explore the tantric, the magical, the shamanic, the psychedelic. And so these seemed to be two separate spheres, but the more I got deeper into both of them, the more I realized they were just different aspects of the same thing. You know, works of people from the 60s and 70s, like Robert Anton Wilson, like uh, um, Timothy Leary, and, and some of their disciples and followers um, have, have been heavily influential in my life. And ontological design has a lot of resonance with the concept of reality tunnels, for example, that Robert Anton Wilson was speaking of in some of his work. Um, it also has resonance with uh, the way that Tim Leary discusses his eight circuit model of consciousness, especially the upper circuits, which are essentially the ontological designing circuits, um, if people are familiar with those models. And so I see this as a space where we can reintegrate the different aspects of our humanity. So it, it is inherently human to create tools and to seek to understand the world in collectively commensurable ways, the sort of conventional sense of sense making, right? It's also human to be deeply magical and look for a re-enchantment of the world. And I do think that the internet, the overweb, AR, VR, XR, all of this stuff is sort of gesturing at a possible synthesis here where the skills that were described in the tantric texts of the Eastern tradition that were described in the magical text of the Hermetic and Kabbalistic traditions on the West, um, as well as the skills exhibited by the indigenous shamanic traditions of the Americas, all of these are exactly the same sorts of ways of relating to reality. They're necessary to be a skilled ontological designer and our, our technological competence has finally caught up to the point where we can do meaningful ontological design in a space that's not just contained solely within our heads, but in a broader exocortex and even a shared exocortex. And so I think that this is a crucially important subject to be considering explicitly. Ontological design, what does it look like? And, and uh, I think like Daniel said, when we design systems that we then will be embedded in, those systems end up influencing our evolution as individuals and as a species. And so we're at a real inflection point, leverage point, a point of criticality where the ontological design, design decisions that we make in the next few decades will have huge effects across the future span of human history. And it is best to make those decisions consciously rather than unconsciously. So again, I'm honored to be here and to be a part of this panel and project. Fantastic. Thank you, Edwin. Yeah, I mean, I love that you brought up the aspect of the tantric. It's something that we think about a bunch, you know, there's one of the models that's discussed in some of our circles, this distinction between sutric and tantric religion and sutric being the following of the laws that are laid down in the text, like the Ten Commandments or like the kind of core Buddhist teachings of taking vows to be, to not eat meat, to be sexually sexually chaste, etc. And then the tantric is basically the space where you throw the regulations and the rules to the wind for the purpose of spiritual growth, precisely because we are still human beings and we still have the desire to eat, the desire to fuck, the desire somewhere deep down to kill. And a religion without its tantric space turns into just like a community of people trying to be good boys and good girls together. There's no space for 
the wild, destructive, animalistic energies. And what I think we run into serious, perhaps traps with in terms of the internet and coding is that we have all this power to create very clear laws and regulations and how information is, is filtered and flowed very precisely. What are the spaces, what are the design principles for, for throwing that all to the wind and letting the, the animalistic within the human out in digital spaces? And is there a way to do that mindfully, safely? Who is even allowed into these spaces? Who is judged as being mature enough? And who gets to decide who is judged? Those are some thoughts. Let's um, let's go over to Raven and see see where she's at. She's looking like a little little mystic today with her hood. My shawl. <laughs> Hi everybody. Uh, my name is Raven. It's a pleasure to be here today. I've been listening to the the panels that came before this, and we've really gotten into a wide range of of topics that have brought us out of just thinking about the web specifically, but into, you know, the condition of our humanity, um, both in the present, but also throughout time, um, throughout these intergenerational uh, relationships. And so that's really what's framing um, my, my thinking as I'm coming into these questions today. My background um, is in evolutionary biology. I studied that um, in college under Brett Weinstein and Heather Hang, and that's like heavily influenced my progression um, as a thinker. But I also have a deep interest in religious, comparative religious studies, and that's most of what I've been studying independently since I got out of college. Um, and the question of ontological design has really paralleled to me with the understanding of the organic or the ecological, um, the environmental, and the origins of life, and trying to understand what are the underlying processes that actually create the conditions for life to emerge and how is life moving from one generation to the next? So thinking about the transmission of the possibility for generation that comes through um, autopoiesis. So when I think about the creation of, uh, you know, ontologically designed spaces for the web, I, I want to go back to these deeper questions. If I'm going to place my, with my, in myself or on a team, the, the responsibility of creating certain kinds of environments, which I also think is being niches, right? So organisms exist uh, and arise out of specific kinds of niches and their forms are related to the niche in which they, they kind of, they co-evolve. And that's the framework that I bring to, to thinking about these questions and, it also has a spiritual component to it as well, because thinking about ourselves, not merely as the um, kind of avatar abstractions that we end up being as we phase into this, uh, this dif different reality in terms of its dimensionality. Um, I call it like, you know, rectangle space. <laughs> it's like it's a series of rectangles um, that we end up phasing into in order to communicate online. Uh, how do we uh, relate to the multidimensionality of our own existence? And how does that change and transfer as we move into a different plane that has different kinds of, of qualities to it? I'm looking forward also to AR and VR because when thinking about uh, the dimensionality of behavior and how human beings don't exist only in two-dimensional or linear planes, um, but in associative planes and in, in multidimensional planes, 
the ability for our technology to actually integrate into the body um, and into the gestures of the body is, is something in terms of ontological design that I'm particularly interested in. I also have a background in, um, in carpentry and um, interior design. So thinking about spaces and uh, what Owen was saying about subcultures really resonated with me because when you know I would go to the goth bars uh, and go listen to metal, you know, um, there's a whole design that you walk into of those spaces. There's an attentiveness to the environment that is created specifically in order to induce certain kinds of communal experiences and otherworldliness. And everyone participates. You know, it's not just, you know, the, the bar itself and the way that it's constructed, but also the, the, the people take on responsibility for their appearance and for the way in which they move and, and orient themselves within that environment. And so it is a participatory environment where the niche of, of like, let's say the, the bar <laughs> in, in this context um, actually produces the kind of people who want to fit themselves within that environment. So that type of relationship, you can see it all over the place in terms of how people work with their aesthetic spaces and respond to their aesthetic spaces. Um, obviously COVID has really showed us how that's specifically working when people are really only doing that on the internet. And um, the internet obviously has some ontological um, principles that are, that are different than being in, in this like more human space. So those are just some thoughts that I'll like throw out there um, and then I'll pass it on to others. Thank you. Thank you for your thoughts, Raven. Uh, just a couple of comments. In, in the same way that biology creates the niches out of which new forms uh, of expression for life can arise, so too is the internet one of those niches. The internet can be argued to be natural, as natural as us, or rather an extension of our naturality. Some people call it the next nature in that the technosphere comes on top of the biosphere, which in turn comes on top of the geosphere. So there's a certain continuity. So another interesting question that ontological design raises is who does the designing? Is it us or is it our objects or is it the niche? Who does the writing? Is it me or is it the pen? Does the pen not limit the way that I think? Does it not limit the way that I design? And so perhaps the question that I'd like to throw to um, Max Gosling, uh, which, which I guess uh, should, should, should uh, I'm gonna ask what you think after this. The question is, how do you think, what, is it, what, what does the niche called the internet, what does it, what is it designing? Was it, what is being designed through it? Uh, what are your thoughts? First, I'm very grateful that I'm here because um, it will grant me the opportunity to say how much I think this, uh, this whole idea is complete nonsense. Like seriously, uh, first, uh, it's bad design, you know, ontological design. If I have to Google it, if, uh, if I don't understand straight away what it's about, it's not clear, it's not making sense. Then it's like you're trying to just define what the, you put two words together and then, okay, what the heck could it mean? And then how could you apply it to something? I have no fucking clue. For me, design is like, there is a problem in the world. How am I gonna solve it? And then I read your manifesto and I was like, this guy is fucking nonsense, he's, he's insane. You know, like designing human beings, 
you know, first there was like a transhumanism. I was like, okay, you're great people, but now it's like you want to design human beings. So then I was like, okay, maybe I just misread. Huh? But then he said, okay, uh, basically there's no truth. Is uh, everyone's uh, reality is legit and whatever. And then you misquote Nietzsche by saying that uh, his, um, you put in his words some things that he doesn't say. So for him, it's like everything is subject to interpretation, but it's not such a thing that there's no absolute truth, which came later on with uh, postmodernism. And I think for me, uh, this whole exercise is pure style over substance. It's like, uh, look at me, I'm so brilliant, uh, look at all those quotes, but I have no fucking clue what I'm doing. With all due respect, uh, I read your previous article, okay, respect, but this is like, what is it exactly that you're trying to solve as a problem in the world? And then you, you write something like getting uh, flirting with dystopia. And then, uh, okay, we need to design human beings. Well, even just this, like either semantically, uh, I think it's uh, maybe you, you mean like we, we influence uh, human's mind. I would say perhaps indeed, you know, the thing is like, with Facebook, for instance, we change the content of people's mind. But, and you say, well, we shouldn't be moralistic about it. Well, for me, design ought to be moralistic. We ought to be deontological about design. We ought to, to make conscious decisions about how we design things. Uh, an example, pure example of like, okay, we should not care about morality. Well, take Facebook, take Cambridge Analytica. So uh, data-driven behavioral change. Okay, so I'm gonna check the psychometric of this guy. Okay, what does he like? And this guy, what do they like? And I'm gonna serve them what kind of uh, message I need to send to them so I can uh, manipulate their mind and then I get to vote Trump. And that's exactly how Trump was being elected. So is it ontological uh, design taking us there? Or I don't know, design human beings, maybe uh, genetic engineering is there. Someone reads your article and say, well, why don't we make uh, human beings blue or uh, phosphorescent like we do, uh, you know, we mutate some mice. So it's like, uh, perhaps uh, God sent me on this earth to uh, sanitize uh, transhumanism and ontological design. Huh? You know, I'm sorry if I get uh, a bit, uh, you know, pissed off about this, huh? but seriously, I think this, and if you don't, if you don't express it simply, like uh, seriously, uh, it doesn't make sense. Huh? You know, like making sense is keep things simple. Who cares about the quotes of X, Y, Z and blah, blah, blah. Whatever, this is, this is all about. So every bubble tries to uh, have its own way to look good. So uh, if you look at on Instagram, it's like how cute you are, how beautiful. In this whole sphere, it's like how much, uh, how much knowledge do I have, uh, do I spread? You know, I say knowledge is like jam. The less you have, the more you spread it. You know, I'm sorry, your previous article was so much more inspired, but now it's like, okay, uh, what kind of things I can put out in the world just so I can look good? This is my impression, huh? but I don't think you're really serious about solving any kind of problem in the world. I think design is about solving problems, you know, from the experience of the guy who've done design like for, for years. Huh? And I think the problem is this, huh? is like think about people first. What do they need in their lives? And I'm a bit upset because I came up with this concept of ideological design. I think the problem is not human beings, it's like change them and transform them. Because you could say, hey, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, you know, it's like uh, the, the problem is my nose is not beautiful enough. Maybe 
the problem is my perception to my nose. Or maybe the problem is how uh, this society is making us uh, ill, uh, adequate and completely dissociated from reality. So it's like, it's as if, uh, you know, there's uh, everybody's got their own reality. Now everybody's got their own perspective on one reality. You know, otherwise we have to change the definition of reality. But here it's like, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to, how to say, huh? but I think uh, where's the soul in, in this, you know, like where, first, how do you apply it? You know, uh, where does it fit in people's life and how does it solve their problem? Because design is this. Huh? So that's my question to you. Okay, yeah, I just thank want to you. say thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Max. Uh, very impassioned and uh, you have a lot of experience in this space. So again, uh, disagreement is, is great. This is, this is how we come to uh, a synthesis and uh, the more beautiful future that we all uh, want to have. So uh, Daniel, can you please uh, take it away if you want to respond? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Max, first of all. It's always a pleasure to be able to provoke this sort of indignation out of people. Um, I would like to address some perhaps misunderstandings that, that might have arisen to you when looking and reading the article, because I think that's gonna clarify some things. When you invent the ship and you've read this, you also invent the shipwreck. When you invent the plane, you invent the plane crash. And when you invent electricity, you invent electrocution. As such, and very simply as point one, ontological design can design uh, with a deontological frame. It can solve the problems in the world for the best, which. I very much doubt that you are able to define in a way that is convincing. That's precisely the, by the reason why I bring the relativism into play. And the whole point about articulating it in this way of flirting with dystopia is precisely not to be scared to understand the state of the art when it comes to weaponization. In other words, ontological design is today being weaponized. Cambridge Analytica, Trump did that. But that has been just the prologue, that is just the beginning. Um, as such, it is important to articulate a design theory, which is the precondition for the design practice, which I'm sure uh, you're very experienced in. But the design practice requires that certain theoretical tenets are laid out in advance. And those theoretical tenets, in my opinion, need to grapple with the growing uh, threat of weaponized neural networks and their effect on attention and perception. So that would be my answer um, to your critique. I'm sure I didn't address uh, all of it, but uh, for the sake of the debate, I might throw this question to you, but, but let's pass it to other people also on the panel, but, but bear in mind because I want you to answer it as well. What does the future, what does the internet and what does the overweb in the future, the next 10 to 20 years, what do they have in store for design? What problems are we trying to design? Are you able to even formulate the problems that we are trying to design? Are we even able to ask the right questions? Um, so that, that, would be, that would be my question. And, and Evan, what do you think perhaps might be some of the challenges that, that the next 10 to 20 years of internet uh, are bringing us and maybe how, how does the overweb uh, enter into this frame? Well, I think the challenges of the next 10 to 20 years, my, my first answer to that is that they're going to be magnifications, I think, of the challenges we're already facing today. Um, this has to do 
among other things, um, you mentioned weaponized AI and uh, this, this affects us already now and will only get worse. Um, we have been operating from a frame of unfettered freedom of information, more or less, you know, and say America where I am, the first amendment is held sacrosanct. I don't have a, a well-formed opinion about exactly what should be done here. I simply notice a problem existing because with the ability to weaponize memetics in the way that we have gotten down to, if not fully a science, then at least an exquisitely developed and technologically assisted art form in the past uh, 15 to 20 years, um, we're constantly the sort of organisms that are exposed to viral vectors without a functioning immune system, right? And now you can talk about sense-making, you can talk about the death of sense-making, but when I talk about sense-making in this space, what I'm essentially talking about is the need to have a better developed mimetic immune system, both as individuals and more importantly, we're not just individuals, we are also members of colony organisms or collective entities. Humans don't survive very well on their own. We are part of an embedded and larger whole, which has organismic characteristics of its own. And so both our individual human selves, as well as the selves formed by our collectives have extremely underdeveloped mimetic immune systems when you compare that to the speed of evolution of mimetic viruses, essentially, which are out there, which are having no interest in the health of their hosts, only in their own ability to propagate and to play the game of power. We could go into the fact that so much of what happens today on the internet is essentially operating from what someone like Baudrillard might call simulacrum level four. Um, and so this gets into a very dangerous space. AI and the AR and all of these developments are only accelerating this. I mean, for one, you take a look at how much content that people consume now is in video form and the way that our nervous systems are inherently biased to trust that more than say textual form. And, you know, we could go on about this, but basically the collective development of mimetic immune system seems to be a critical part of even having enough mental spaciousness and freedom to even contemplate doing ontological design per se. Indeed, I agree yes. that preconditions are important. Um, one cannot start to use ontological design as a way to create a mimetic self-defense if one, if the preconditions aren't there, I do agree. As for mimetic immunity, I feel like that's one of the properties of group reality tunnels. Group reality tunnels have a way to shift that what is of interest and to exclude that which is counter to their narrative and to keep some things inside. And there's a certain membrane in between. Perhaps someone you can expand on this. I mean, what I'm, where my brain has actually just been, been kind of stuck on, it's kind of relates to this sense of mimetic immunity, but also like we can't forget just the sheer artistic element of design. Like when the fucking guys were designing the great churches and cathedrals of the days gone by, what were they designing to solve? The problem, it wasn't just building a building to solve some kind of material problem, but actually to provide a, um, a place for transcendent worship, right? And thus, not only designing themselves as they built, 
which is the purpose of, of these Freemasonic guilds, but also designing the people who actually use those buildings. In essence, designing that which Raven refers to as this sort of biological substrate which runs along with history. That is what one is disciplining and designing as history moves onwards. Precisely. And I think there can be a tendency in these spaces we exist within to orient towards how can we solve all of the world's problems? Like, what are the problems we need to go for? And what are the problems we need to solve at like a macro level? And I think maybe the thing is to kind of to look at a micro level and recognize that humans, we have been totally ideologically, mimetically colonized. Like the way we think, the way we desire has been shaped by advertising and education systems. And maybe the place to start is just at a very local level. How can 10, 50, 100, 1,000 people redesign literally their kind of like core operating system, if you will. And from there, go out into the world and try to express agency. But at the moment, if we're trying to think about high level design solution to global level problems while still essentially running the software of mass education and left right spectrum politics we're just going to recreate the old world yeah I, I sort of agree with that if i can jump um so i think the problem um for me is ideological that's why i came up with this uh, idea of ideological design um it seems like we all have, a, you know, an ideological bubble for which we belong to, and now it's like, okay, we live in a world where uh, it's sort of a bridge are uh, coming together. But it's like, how can you, uh, how can you open up to someone's uh, different perspective, and how can we glue them together or move beyond any particular ideology? Because we know from the past, this, uh, if you identify yourself too much from a part of a certain uh, um, certain cult, you know, being Christianism or uh, capitalism, communism, uh, Hinduism, whatever, it sort of uh, it defines you as a person. And now it seems like um, it can be your ideological shackles. It's like uh, something that gets you stuck. And now it's like the, the, the walls, the ideological walls are falling. And that's why, uh, you know, this adventure of noetic nomad, I think, comes at the right time. For me, it's like um, what we say uh, in innovation, there is a product market fit. So it's like when there is demand for it, it's like someone uh, has to provide the answer for it. So that's why I think, uh, indeed, uh, it ought to be perhaps the... It, it might come from the, the, the goal of designers. You know, if you think of evolution of design, okay, first you design stuff, then you, we design software, and perhaps uh, next we think of how we design ideolo ideologies in terms of uh, what would be the best uh, ideology in order for us to navigate better into the future. Um, but I think for me, it's clear that, uh, you know, whenever you do design, you have to think about humans first because you design for them. But also, uh, and something that has not been considered before enough is to design uh, in adequation with our environment. That's why I'm very opposed to the idea of ontological design because here is, um, 
it's it's saying that we design our environment or our reality and reality uh, design us or maybe it's a semantic uh, change huh? but for me it's like okay we design our environment but sometimes we do bad design and we have to adapt to it and it's not good for us for instance when uh, apple did flat design so because uh, we relate to reality with shadows and things. It was difficult for people to adapt to it. So they adapt to, so uh, the, the pinnacle of design is more you adapt to people versus people adapt to it. So if you say ontological design, it's like, oh, it's good. You create something so people adapt to it. Well, I think we ought to do the exact opposite, which is let's try to adapt to people, actually who we really are as human beings, what are our deepest drive, expectation, um, what it is that makes us really happy, fulfilled, and how can we match or the interest of the individual, the collective, and the environment, which is not uh, put enough in the equation, I think. Um, like the environment is not taken into account. So for me, I think uh, the future, uh, let's say as an, as an example, perhaps could be a, an online platform where you leverage uh, the knowledge of uh, game design, for instance, Using game mechanics, you can get people to do interesting things. Um, like something very boring can be extremely exciting if you leverage uh, some inner um, uh, a drive that people have. For instance, the, the idea of leveling up, you know, which you get in role-playing games or uh, achievements or badges. This is something that uh, is like an extrinsic reward that gets people to act upon this world. Perhaps we could imagine a platform where, like a karma platform where uh, because people are so obsessed with their social status nowadays, well, here you get a positive uh, um, feedback for doing good, for uh, cleaning the planet. Okay, you get the badge, uh, good stuff. Maybe you pay your electricity green. Uh, you get a badge well done so it's like you uh, in a way you combine the interest of the individual with the interest of the the environment and the collective so because everyone is trying to uh, look good on twitter on facebook but for wrong kind of reasons perhaps you you can uh, leverage this understanding <clears throat> Uh, to instead making the game a, a monopoly, which is the, the, the game that you know, we are in now, you know, capitalism is basically it and it's crumbling down. Now it's like, what is the new game that we're going to create? And perhaps we can create something fun, uh, something uh, interesting that will be useful as well. Mm. Again, I come back to sort of, my, and I'm, I'm going to make sort of a comment on what you said, and I want to throw something very quickly to, to Evan. Um, the ability of designers, architects, and thinkers to formulate the good has had its time and its time has passed. Its time was the 20th century. Our ability to be able to formulate a good has produced tremendous flaws. Today, Cambridge Analytica, uh, the paradigm of the 2010 startup decade was precisely the paradigm of the hook, of the positive nudge, of the benevolent dictator designer who understands what is good for the people and is able to create that. Well, ontological design presupposes design as process. It's, a, it's an engine. I don't know what the design is going to be. Someone might use it for bad ends. Someone might use it for good ends. But the very fact that we are scared of contemplating the wrong ends is proof that it is effective. In other words, and I'm going to throw it to you, Evan, um, 
couldn't you imagine the 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 you know the, at the higher and I'm gonna throw it in the terms of Robert Anton Wilson and, and Tim Leary, like at the higher levels of this metaprogramming uh, eighth circuit level of consciousness, um, there's no moral gesture there. At no point does Robert Ansel Wilson, Wilson say that there's good reality tunnels and bad reality tunnels. Uh, I mean, we can agree and we can have consensus. And indeed, obviously, we don't want we don't want the errors. We want we don't want to repeat the errors of the past. But we also don't. Um, I, I, there is no moral injunction in this. It is in this sense perhaps much more amoral than we think. Um, to could you perhaps take this point of amorality and perhaps connected with, with this idea of Prometheus rising and, and self-design? Yeah, though I, I will uh, state a, a, a slight point of disagreement with, say, um, the, the idea of amorality. Um, I don't think that's actually the full story. Um, now, whether or not we can cash out some sort of... Um, legible morality, something that we can write down and all agree upon, that's probably a crapshoot, probably not going to happen. But I do think that getting in touch with, um, you know, and I talked about this in the last panel a bit, um, with our sort of internal felt sense, with our um, nonverbal, non-logical, non-linguistic ways of relating to reality can offer some pointers towards um, a more normative morality rather than an arbitrarily constructed um, morality which just exists as one possibility among a sea of possibilities with no way to distinguish the validity of one from the other. So I, I do want to get that out there because it's possible to construct whatever reality tunnels you want to for sure. It's possible to construct reality tunnels, ontological designs in which questions of moralities are, are, are completely irrelevant and that's not even like where, where the moral patient is not even part of your ontology. But I do think that that path ultimately leads to madness and not the particularly fun kind of madness. So, um, so I, I just wanna get that out there. Um, and and so, so to sort of uh, more directly answer your question, I, I, I guess um, I, I think that again, a lot of this discussion has to happen, of course, via verbal means and has to be rendered into serialized and somewhat legible language. But I don't think that that is the end to the way that we can relate to and make sense of reality. And I think that ontological design, like you brought in the idea of the artistic or aesthetic aspects of design, I don't think that can be formally cashed out into like a requirements document or specifications of any length. I think that part of it has to do with, you know, what people call the felt sense. And that this is something that is more common in humans than, than, than we often give it credit for. Mm -hmm. I would just say that it is not that these tunnels have no moral. It is that they can have any moral, any morality. Uh, because morality is an intrinsic element that re is required for the sustenance. Um, today I read someone say that a nation and is a moral entity. And by nation, I want to replace the word nation and I will introduce life. Is there any, maybe I'm just going off, but Raven, I wanted to connect this with the idea of, of, of a moral entity, of a moral authority that comes from the biological optimism and, and, and how that <clears throat> can actually bubble up these new effervescences of reality as we move towards new ages of technology and, and as we try to learn how to deal with them. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of different ways of looking at that question, whether or not you center the human 
or whether or not you center life itself. Um, and, you know, people go in different directions with this. Uh, obviously, there's an argument to be made that human beings, particularly the kind of trajectory that's just on our, on our backs or in our shadow have led to tremendous ecological destruction, um, the loss of biodiversity and the massive like disruption of basically all of these environments that have been existing within their own worlds undisturbed for very long periods of time in some cases. Uh, and with that, you could maybe say that human beings uh, you know, ought to terminate themselves and, and leave life to, to the living and stop with all of this technological progress. I think that um, if we think of ourselves as living and think of our, if we, if we prize life as a kind of um, moral center or a moral pillar, we're placed within a different kind of uh, landscape where our existence is not intrinsically valuable because we're human, but because we're living. And by being living things, we are connected to the other living things. And uh, I think, you know, you can place, and I guess maybe this is, the, this is the kind of greater point in terms of thinking about ontological design within the context of morality. Uh, we know a lot about ourselves now. Like it's almost painful how much we know about human psychology, like evolutionary history, uh, the brutality of history, you know, the, the relativism of history, like how we can look at different periods of time and see that people had different kinds of values, that they, you know, were, were perfectly happy and, and, and uh, content with scapegoating or with human sacrifice. You know, these types of things that now we would consider to be ghastly immoral things to participate in, um, even if we are continuing to sacrifice people um, in some other ways that are now considered to be more appropriate. So there's, there's, I feel like in a way by presenting ontological design as not already presupposing a moral structure gives us the opportunity to see things that are arising as, as being just what they are. I mean, we are already noticing, we already can see that people are being designed. We look at the conspirituality movement or the, you know, the Q shaman, all of these people who are having their, their worlds made by their interactions with algorithms online um, and nudged into these directions of these reality tunnels. So would we define that as moral? Uh, I think, you know, most of us probably not, um, but that's happening. <laughs> it allows for us to, to describe that as an ontological design process. And it also allows us to consider the complexity of the morally relative position that we find ourselves in. We just look at history we're dealing with the context of people in different times believing different things are moral. And I think a lot of the crisis, kind of the shadow, let's say, of particularly in the United States, which is where I'm from, what I can really speak to, is the issue of history. Of course, we have the issue of slavery. We have the issue of the way that we've talked about different wars that we've been through, uh, colonialism, imperialism and having to deal with the cognitive dissonance of there having been a time where there was a different kind of moral structure. And now we are living within the, the, the context of those patterns, having to deal with the burden of that brutality on our backs and not knowing how to deal with it. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, we're going 
crazy haywire trying to cope with the cognitive dissonance of these kinds of difference and how the patterns are still repeating themselves. You could consider history to be its own kind of ontological design, you know, where you are born into an environment and you are having to respond to it and it's designing your response to you. And it's, so for me, I, I don't know, these, these questions of morality are like highly uh, complex because we know so much and because we're having to deal with with the, you know, what Owen said in the beginning that we want to fuck, we want to eat, we want to kill. We have these things inside of us. How do we cope with these things? Uh, how do we cope with the history of these things? Uh, very deep questions to even get to a principle of design where you end up with, let's say human flourishing or you, but what is human flourishing? Well, human flourishing has, you know, in some contexts, if we think of the human as living and that's its, that's the moral structure, then we have to include other types of living things within the context of human flourishing. But some people wouldn't say that, you know, so I, I you know, that's, <laughs> I think that this is really like just the beginning of looking at things from this kind of set of principles um, so that we can begin to sort different kinds of trajectories um, from the position that we're in now. And of course, you know, I, I you know, I think from this evolutionary ecological perspective and from an intergenerational perspective where I'm thinking, what's gonna be the case in 300 years? What's gonna be the case in 500 years? Can we think about longevity as the, as the principle that we're interested in rather than immediacy? Um, and immediate flourishing may be actually in the cost of long-term or, or um, extended flourishing and working at those different levels of, of time and, and scale. So I don't know. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So I agree with what you said, um, and I think uh, that's one of the things that uh, you notice with Facebook, for instance. Um, uh, you know, the like button. You could say, well, it's great because it gives people um, uh, a stimulation in their circuitry of reward, as we say. So it's like as a designer. So uh, one of um, uh, the common point between Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat, he was this uh, teacher in uh, Stanford in uh, behavioral design. Um, and uh, the idea is like when you remove friction and you make things easy, and then uh, how you uh, trigger a, a shot of dopamine into people's brain, you create an addictive behavior. And all the Farmville and uh, Facebook, and they are designed with this in mind. It's like for people like me, and that's what got me really scared and really um, got me to really take responsibility about it because I created the community and there was badges and uh, so extrinsic uh, reward system where people get a shot of dopamine and then they want to do more, more and more of it. Um, but they get addicted to it. So it's like, oh, wow, I created a, a machine that uh, people were addicted to. And uh, that's why I'm thinking that actually you cannot uh, dissociate morality from design. It's like it's part of everything. It's like um, putting rubbish in the environment. Well, uh, is it a good thing or not? Uh, maybe I'm designing the environment this way. I don't. We have to take responsibility. And I think that's the problem actually of designers of today because they do not take responsibility. And then it's later on the designer of Facebook come back and say, oh, we fucked up. 
because now you see uh, we uh, the whole uh, electoral process has been um, uh, transvestized by uh, by the stuff that we've done and now uh, everybody is like on a on a social media slot machine or uh, they're constantly uh, because we're programmed like this we're programmed to get some sort of social validation and uh, because we do not get it in real life we go into the simulation to try to get it uh, but it's always a proxy it's never the real thing that's why my belief is the opposite actually perhaps we ought to get out of the matrix and come back to uh, you know just uh, hugging people you know uh, hugging kissing dancing together how can we come back you know get out of the matrix people say okay uh, they're all in the matrix but they are you know it's like for me huh, you're out of the matrix you're uh, you're back into uh, an environment that's actually the thing that you really want and there's no proxy for human touch like um if you think about it like like primitive need i don't mean it in the in a pejorative kind of way but all primitive basic needs as human beings are never ever being met actually so that's why we're compensating we're like hungry ghosts that are constantly compensating for a deep lack inside a lack of love perhaps that we've never received from our parents from our education or respect huh? respect for individuality because we are all formatted uh, on an industrial scale we all have to be the same we, we are not empowered uh, we are constantly stimulated and uh, our behavior is changed any advertisement is behavioral modification already. So uh, I don't think the answer is more behavioral modification or perhaps behavioral modification to undo the social uh, conditioning that, uh, that has made us into those uh, digital slaves, huh? pretty much. Huh? All, uh, you know, I, I really think uh, our social medias are actually coping mechanism for basic needs which, ha which are not met. Um, and I think uh, perhaps we ought to, uh, to take responsibility over it. And let's see if actually we can uh, uh, use uh, the, the, the learning, which is it is uh, amoral because it's like, it's true, huh? you, 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 give, you give some badge to people, they're happy, it changed their behavior. So perhaps you could do something that's great for them. And you say sometimes it's, um, it's like designing a Big Mac, you know, uh, so it's good. Uh, it tastes very great for you. You want it, you're addicted to it, but it's not good for your health. Uh, so the web uh, of today is very much McDonald's. It's constant pleasure, uh, but, it's, but it's not very meaningful. Uh, except perhaps this enterprise. I think this enterprise is meaningful because finally we are face to face. I mean, the best uh, proxies, like we see each other's face, we talk directly. You know, that's why we invented emoji. Emojis are like, uh, you have the emotional wrapping that goes alongside it. That's why I, I give myself permission to be a bit emotional as well. I don't think we ought to be completely detached from our emotions and that it's a good thing. I do not think this. Huh? I think perhaps we ought to uh, you know, connect with our heart a little bit more, do something a little bit more uh, meaningful with our lives and uh, with what we say and uh, life is short, so let's make sure we can provide something of value into this world. Mm. I guess that um, before we, I'm gonna make a comment and, and, and then I'm gonna ask you, Albert, if, if we have enough time to continue the discussion or if we go into Q&A. Um, but 
I need to, to reply to you, Max, and say that I, I couldn't disagree more. Um, morality is not inextricable from design. It should be included in design. It should be included in design so much that moral, morality is what we design. In other words, one of the things, and this is perhaps important to, to mention to this community, that uh, the documentary uh, Social Dilemma, which perhaps is the level of understanding that, that, that everyone has here of what can constitute ontological design is perhaps the most salient example. I think one of the things that that documentary cunningly and deviously, or maybe accidentally does, is it flosses over the question of defining the brief. Like Raven said, morality, and I, I believe Paul said something very brilliant uh, about that on the chat. Morality is, let me see if I can find it, Paul, um, has an evolution, it, it changes, it evolves. Uh, things that were correct 100 years ago, today are incorrect. And so there's a certain evolutionary aspect to that. So the question of defining the brief and the question of defining the preconditions out of which a definition of the brief can be made is the essential question if we are not to, I would even say childishly continue on the cycle of pursuing the good as if it was 1928 and we still believed modernism and rationality is a pure thing that can save the whole world. We are more, we are more sober, we are more calloused after 100 or 200 years of modernity to the point that we understand that our own cognition is, is laden with traps that our environments and the way that we formulate certain ideas, certain ideas like undoing behavioristic damage that has been done to us, but undoing to resort back to what? There is nothing but the behaviorism that we are grown into. There is no pure noble savage. There is no tabula rasa. The individual, the notion of the I as the Cartesian individual, that is also, for example, a way through which our formulation of problems is in itself already uh, uh, is already there's already a constraint to it. We already think as individuals as eyes. Uh, isn't that already an ontological design placed on us? And if we answer the questions for the future, thinking from that basis, thinking that we need to, for example, you know, shelter individuals and 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 not addict them, aren't we being a little bit naive? And shouldn't we, we rather understand that the design of addiction is the name of the game in the 21st century, whether we like it or not, and that the sober thing to do is to move forward and accelerate along with it, <clears throat> as opposed to, um, because through that, there, emer there can emerge new ways to, to conceive of the future, not only tomorrow, but in 100 and 500 years, I believe. I believe that there's something to be said about that. And um, that is why the, the concept of reality tunnel and the work of Robert Anton Wilson had had they did it did had a very big impact on on me and the conception of ontological design because it's not only about designing the things or the environment it's about designing our own frame of understanding before we even jump into that question there's no brief the brief is blank the real design is how we approach the brief and that in itself is laden with power um, with power relations so. I think that's the important part about ontological design. It's about designing the, the approach, not only our tools design us, but our preconceived notions also design us. Also our addictions design us. Also our moralities also design us and design the way that we approach further questions. 
As such, we're always within this, this dynamo. There's no teleology to ontological design. Ontological design does not say design this and don't design that. But it does say, here's how design can work, especially in the age of neural networks, in the age of AI, in the age of, of as Raven said, in an age where we know a lot about humans, when we have billions of data points about each of us. And hopefully, and this is my personal opinion, through those billions of data points, we're able to have enough knowledge to design, to design something prosperous and, uh, and healthy and safe for everyone, of course. But if we don't look at, at the state of the art of the arms race, then, then, then it's gonna be a complicated one. Albert. Yes, uh, thank you so much, Daniel, Owen, Evan, Max, and Raven. Wow, fireworks to start. I mean, like, again, um, this is the last session of the day, so um, we could continue on. Can uh, I can I say a few words? Yes, yes, go ahead, go I've ahead, got go some ahead. Stuff on my mind. So, I think we have a very very poor understanding of addiction. Perhaps we understand it on a um, like a scientific level. We can look at the biological. <laughs> mechanisms of it if you will but psychoanalytically in terms of how it shapes how we just interact with our environments i think we've got it quite wrong like am i addicted to my guitar because i like to pick it up and play on it and feel like i express myself through it am i addicted to my computer because i like to get on it and talk to daniel and other people about philosophy am i addicted to books because i like to open them up and read and if i'm not reading something i feel like i'm going a bit mad maybe Maybe I am. Maybe there is some kind of drive in me that calls me towards, calls me towards different things, towards, towards studying, <laughs> towards alcohol and pornography. Some of them make me feel like more intelligent and some of them just feel good in the moment. Is it wrong that some of them just make me feel good in the moment? <laughs> no, perhaps they're serving me in that moment as well. And is there some kind of internal lack, emptiness that could be filled in and then I wouldn't have a, an addictive compulsion? Maybe. Is it possible to ever fill in that lack in, inside of me? I doubt it. You know, like being in society is to be crushed into a box created by our ancestors. And all we're saying with ontological design is can we have a little bit more of a say in what that box looks like? Or being fully aware that we're still going to crush every new goddamn baby that comes out of a woman or a machine into that box. And so I think like Max can create his hippie commune through ontological design, but then some of us, we can go and just like fucking listen to crazy music and create crazy virtual reality experiences and do ketamine while we're doing them. And it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun as well. Um, so I'm, I'm going to speak first uh, as, a, as a trained hypnotherapist as well on the subject of addiction. Um, actually, addiction is very... Uh, is very well known um, and how to cure it is not very uh, well known publicly although for hypnotherapists uh, we know how to treat addiction so um, anything that gives you pleasure has the potential to give you addiction that's why we call the circuit of a reward and so what happens is like when you get a peak of pleasure um, your brain is going to record in memory what happened before you got this pleasure. And so indeed, uh, pleasure is not a bad thing in itself, but um, 
Traditionally, we will get pleasure from social interaction, uh, from uh, eating food, and from uh, you know doing exercise and something's healthy. But then, uh, let's say if you take uh, something like uh, like cocaine or some opiates, so some drugs that triggers the pleasure response, you you get to do the things that you did before this, and it always takes a toll on your mind. And so on the subject of, uh, of the internet is, for instance, it takes a, a little bit of a, not much of a toll on your mind. It's like sugar, you could say, sugar doesn't take a toll on you. Yes, it does, because it increases the inflammation in your body. Facebook, uh, Instagram, and all, all those uh, notifications always takes a little bit of a toll on you, because um, in, in order for us to be able to uh, navigate reality with peace of mind, we ought to uh, be able to have some kind of downtime. And uh, something that uh, we, are, we know more and more uh, and that is that uh, people are hyper-vigilant. <clears throat> so we develop hyper-vigilance when uh, typically we are in a state where we need to scan our environment for novelty, uh, for a fear of a certain threat. And now we design our environment with so much solicitation that we're constantly hyper-vigilant and we do not have this downtime that allow us to be grounded, as we say. Um, and when you speak about hippie commune, I mean, well, I spend some time with them, but I don't think it's the way forward. I think the way forward is indeed how do we, um, uh, uh, you know, use technology uh, because it would be silly, you know, uh, to, to do without. It, it, it gave us so many uh, beautiful things, but not uh, to uh, dissociate us, or perhaps it's good to be dissociated. I love ketamine, and I do shamanic uh, 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 process with ketamines. I find it's a good tool because it allows your body uh, to be relaxed so your mind can, can, uh, can, can escape, and you can do beautiful things with it. But... Um, but I think you, you ought to be uh, really grounded if you want to explore even higher. You know, it's like uh, as an alchemist, spiritual alchemist, like keep your feet on the ground and your head in the, in, in the clouds. But now it's like uh, we are not grounded enough and uh, we are trying to go to the moon, but we lose ourselves completely. We are like, we have no idea. We, we do not have, we need some anchors. And I think that's the, the, the problem of this whole um, um, uh, I wasn't here before, but it seems people are saying that the sense making is dead or whatever. Um, I don't know, but I think we need more anchor. I mean, I think for me, it's the problem of postmodernism, which stipulates that there is no reality, that you have a reality, I have my reality. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a completely flawed idea or like that there's no truth. Um, the fact of saying that there's no truth it's kind of uh, pos posing it as a truth in itself. Um, so it's, it's, it's the first paradox of all paradoxes. For me, there is one truth, but with our limited uh, beingness, we, we do not have the capability to access it. So the sense-making process is perhaps uh, creating a map that simplifies uh, our understanding of the rules of reality. And that's why I, I'm very keen on, uh, we ought to simplify our language. It's not because we are gonna make uh, so much references to the thinkers of the past and using uh, um, you know, the, the jargon uh, that uh, 
that it's gonna make more sense. Actually, quite the opposite. As Einstein said, you know, if you do, if you cannot explain it simply, maybe you do not understand it. And so I think, uh, for me, uh, uh, I think we ought to uh, think of um, new let's say a software for the mind, like operating software for the mind uh, that will allow us to navigate the future. But I, I think it might mean perhaps a less dogmatic reliance on technology, which it is now. It's now uh, we, uh, we rely so much on technology and then you say, okay, technology designers, but perhaps because you are younger than, uh, than me, it seems like it's your world and you want to have a say in it because so few people actually have a say where uh, I think uh, perhaps, you know, it's not, uh, and I, I go back to this example of uh, aesthetic surgery. It's like either your nose is the problem or it's your relationship to your nose or to the environment we are, which we're constantly afraid of being judged. You know, we created, we manufactured a society where uh, people are uh, uh, constantly inadequate about their appearances, I mean, especially women. Okay, Max. Uh, yeah, so we're gonna uh, close in a couple minutes, okay. Max. So you have finished that up, and then we'll close the session. Thank you. Okay. So uh, yes, um, but I felt I felt a bit uh, sad when you said that um, perhaps uh, you know you will never be fulfilled in this society because it's fucked up anyway. You know, it's in a way, huh, that's, a, that's the subtext that I got. Huh? It's like, well, uh, you know, uh, like uh, it's a new box that has been designed by our ancestors. Well, perhaps it's time to get out of the box, you know, like do something else. Let me very quickly just, just answer that. Um, someone once said that the reason why people in philosophy use big words is so that they don't have to use big sentences. Secondly, we live in a techno-capitalist age, and I don't say this lightly or happily. That's perhaps something that might come across like that. Uh, I think I see it soberly, which is um, the march of technology uh, is very unlikely to stop. And, you know, I draw on the works of Nick Lance, some people may not like him, but uh, we are in a, in a very special age technologically. Uh, it is, I would very much like for us to be able to take a step back and ground ourselves in our roots. But I believe that I want to take a different stance, which is one that the only way is through and to embrace the challenges of our time today as those of our ancestors, those of our past also took their challenges and crossed so many bottlenecks, bottlenecks of you know, predators and, and so much. And I believe that yes, today through technology, um, we will be able to invent because we will have to, what it means to be human in the new age. Uh, and that will imply not only going outwards, but obviously going inwards. And you said something very beautiful uh, about, about the internet and how it's a massive network of dopamine loops that just reinforces behavioristically a series of habits. And yes, because of that, we will also, we will step up. Uh, we will, we will, the way is through. That is kind of my, the last thing that I wanted to leave here, that ontological design is an affirmative answer to the techno-capitalist paradigm and that it is positive in this sense. Positive in that it accepts a certain defeat. That's it. 
Wow. Thank you so much, everyone. Wow. Daniel, Owen, Raven, Max, Evan, for taking part in this amazing inaugural ontological design session for the web thesis, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, very fruitful disagreement, which I believe that a lot of us uh, got a lot of value out of it. And I hope to see more value coming out of it in the future. Again, thank you so much. Um, this has this event is coming to a close right now and fireworks to end. How appropriate. Uh, let's continue this conversation in collaboration over at the Noetic Nomads Discord, which I just put into the chat where we can link up with fellow radical thinkers and doers in pursuit of a more beautiful future, including many nomads who are in this panel and in this chat right now. So that's it for the inaugural Overweb Challenge brought to you by Bridget.io and Noetic Nomads. Thanks again, everyone. This was the final panel of the day. What an incredible day with amazing speakers, ideas, and connections being made. So peace out, everyone. And step up because the world needs you. Okay, take care. Bye bye. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. <laughs> Thank you, Owen. Albert has the best voice. Albert, you got the best fucking voice, man. You're like, <laughs> I don't know what you are. It's like, it reminds me of like the guy who did the Halo voice in the Halo game. <laughs> Halo. <laughs> but you're that guy for whatever the internet is yeah that's it i'm the i'm like the halo guy with the sets maker space i was brought here yeah like that's my yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah we need a um we need like a box with just with your like different buttons that make different <laughs> yeah oh yeah like remember like the like the back in the day after the soundboards yeah, like, yeah, that's exactly. Albert, Albert nomad, nomad. Yeah, yeah. And I think we need we need a few like catchphrases for you, like, just <laughs> things that you say. That's just how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Your sense just got made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can do that. You can do all that. Yeah, like, I, like I don't know. Maybe like I could like start charging people like. I will do the intro for your podcast, Techno Social with Daniel Fraga. And I will oh, come. fuck. Yeah, yeah. Please, please <laughs> record something and send it on. I'll put it on a yeah, special. Yeah, that'd, that'd be hilarious. Okay. Yeah, oh, no, rather, we'll, let's do an episode together and then you can do the intro to your own episode. Oh, whoa. <laughs> let's do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so what do you think? Me, uh, just me on Techno Social or like I'm not even like, I'm just too out there to be on Techno Social. You want to come? I don't know. Like, you, we could definitely work on something. You know? No, no, yeah. no, no, man. Fucking, yeah, come on. All right, cool, cool. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I'll contact you. Uh, yeah, I'll uh, email you. Actually, Daniel, you're in the you're in, you're in the server, but you never use it. You don't use Discord much. <laughs> I do not. I do not. Yeah, yeah, I, I've logged in, but yeah, it's just not a habit that I have. Yeah, yeah, it I just know. isn't like front of mind for my like seven messaging apps. Discord yeah. is not one of them. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's yeah, space. I'm... Yeah, yeah. So well, yeah, we'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely. Uh collaborate on all on all sorts of things and uh, i appreciate you taking that whole thing in stride <laughs> i'm just i'm just waiting so i'm just waiting for uh for max to go right so i'm like i know he has a lot to say and then he was like man you were you were like crazy man you were like stupid i was like shit, right. just... I was like, shit. <laughs> what <did> you <laughs> but uh yeah i mean uh, i mean he brought it back and i actually think like that was a really uh really generative discussion so i'm actually glad that came out and i'm glad that you stayed sovereign through that whole thing i was like Whoa, Daniel, all right, you got this, thank you. That, good to hear. I think there's a lot of stuff, like there's there's a lot of content and, and you know, um, it can be the case. And sometimes it's honestly, like, I don't think it's a bad thing that some people take a little snippet and like, oh my God, I hate this a lot. One, it shows that there's at least some vitality in it. Secondly, it's just a tidbit of a large body of, of, of 
of ideas that cannot get explored in, in one hour. And hopefully that just helps us mm, talk through the, these ideas better.